there's numbers that are reported and put out there um, from outlets. And I, I, don't, I don't think that really necessarily helps anything whatsoever. It definitely doesn't help the program whatsoever, but it doesn't help both sides. And definitely if you're in support of a collective or, you know, the battles end here, that's, I don't think those numbers should be shared. I don't, I don't think that's the right place to help anyone. And I think too, the out, the, the organizations, the collectives, they've got to crack down on that kind of stuff becoming public because it allows us to see it, allows fans to see it, which you can tell right away immediately. You know, there were some Rodney Hill numbers going out. Fans were just going right at Rodney Hill and, and just yelling at him. And it doesn't even give a chance for maybe the players to look, sit back, think about a few things. And before even meeting, maybe they're their position coaches. It doesn't help anything whatsoever when numbers are shared out there. And I think that's something that then we're new. We're in a new age of new age of how this NIL stuff works and everything, but it's got to be changed and it's got to, it's got to, things got to be more private. And I think this is something that the battles end is, is a learning lesson. These, these numbers do not need to be public. I have no idea why they're public. It, it just doesn't help anything whatsoever and it's really unprofessional in my opinion i totally agree hey guys it's terrence man you're listening to hear the spear presented by no game day go those hey what's up this is peter ward aka he dub in the house so we're listening to hear the spear presented by no game day go live go nose hi this is charlie ward and you're listening to hear the spear go nose this is terrell fleckley you're listening to Hear the Spear, presented by No Game Day. No bloody. But perhaps better known as the greatest corner to ever step on a football field, Deion Primetime Sanders. The great Deion Sanders, my brother. What's going on, man? I, I could wake up to that greedy every day, man. That was awesome. Hello, those fans. This is former Seminole Derek Brooks, and you're listening to Hear the Spear, presented to you by No Game Day. James Wilder, Jr. What's going on, James? Thanks for having me on SSOD, Florida State or Die, and go no. William Barnun Floyd. Gentlemen, what's up? What's happening, guys? This is Logan Robinson from Here the Spirit, presented to you by NoelGameDay.com. You're here live on a wonderful, fantastic Wednesday evening. I guess wonderful. it just depends on how some fans think on it. But, fantastic. Uh, it, it's been a, it's been an interesting Wednesday, but still a good one to come on here and recap Florida State's 2024 early signing day class not everything fully solidified but for right now it seems like florida state's going to hold on to a top 10 class maybe a little bit different than how they had thought originally coming into potentially being a top five class in the country but nonetheless florida state does what they need to do in some areas but we'll discuss it here in a few losing out on a commit and having them flip over to Georgia is definitely not the way that you kind of want to finish off the afternoon and losing one of your top tier players, the top tier player in your class. But we'll discuss that in just a few about KJ Bolden. We'll talk about Jeremiah Smith as well. We're going to talk about majority of these 2024 signees, a lot, a lot of serious talent coming into Tallahassee. So we'll be jumping in there to discuss everything related to what Mike Ravel brought in for this year. We're going to talk also Marvin Jones Jr. committing to Florida State. Didn't take too long there, but Shade Tree's son is officially a Seminole, still waiting on the papers to come through there. But 
Uh, other than that, we're going to talk Lundy and Hill. Those guys officially are in the transfer portal. We've got some Knowles that are heading to the pros, including star defensive end Jared Verse. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit maybe about FSU Georgia as we'll be heading down to Miami next week. And for just a hot, quick second, VZ is going to give us the latest on Florida State and Leonard Hamilton and the Florida State basketball team. But before we get started, as always, you can listen to this pod podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. If you're on YouTube right now, hit that like button. We would definitely appreciate it. Thanks for everyone tuning in the last couple of weeks. It has been awesome to have you guys come in here, give us some questions, give us some topics, and honestly, just have y'all chatting with us helps us go on with the show. So appreciate everyone. It is a busy show tonight, so we'll get right started. With me this evening is Dustin Lewis, our editor-in-chief at NoGaming.com, and down below is our lead game preview guy for Florida State football, but also our lead basketball writer, Austin VZ. Gentlemen, how we doing? How we feeling? We're here. <clears throat> another uh, another early signing period. Another you know year where Florida State loses out on top commits and top targets. So you have a really good class here in the fold. You know, number ten in the country. I've addressed a ton of positions and I have some real talent coming into Tallahassee. But once again, it's the optics with the way Florida State finishes and loses a really talented player, their top recruit in the class uh, at the very end. I feel like my stance on high school football recruiting has is well known on this podcast at this point, and nothing's going to change about that, whether they had a great day or a bad day today. You know, they still got in a good talent class with a bunch of blue chip prospects. It's still, what, a 70% blue chip ratio. Still a good class, just didn't close the way you probably preferred, but nothing goes the way you prefer in college football. It's the way it is these days. Mm -hmm. Nope, it is nonstop. You got to deal with NIL. And, and that whole part of the world, and then you just got to also deal with just regular things going on that goes into recruiting. It's crazy that now we have a whole other world to think of when it comes into some of these younger players. And, and now when there's money-related, things change up quite a bit, but it's something that we have to get used to. And uh, things really can come down to the last minute if it wasn't already suspenseful and stressful enough. But uh, this day and age, NIL is a big factor. So let's jump into... K.J. Bolden, Florida State missing out on a really talented player out of Georgia. Was committed to Florida State for a good while. Uh, was really, I, I thought, you know, kind of turned into a little bit of a bell cow there for Florida State. You know, Charles Lester, them and them building a relationship there to Low Cromenhawk. Uh, now in the fold, too, signed today with the Seminoles. But uh, K.J. Bolden, he, he's no longer a Seminole came down to his ceremony and it was fully prepped in Georgia gear. This wasn't maybe a kind of a shocker kind of ceremony. Like maybe we were looking to see it kind of was already pretty much prepared fully in every regard. And I saw the, the reception afterwards with all Georgia gear and balloons and festivities. It was practically a bulldog festive uh, festival there. And it uh, seems like his mind was made up well in advance and Dustin you know, we were there to hear from we were here to hear from KJ Bolden when he was right outside Doak, outside the moor, and was telling you guys, you know, you already know, you know, I'm I'm with FSU, and definitely felt a little awkward there, and definitely now looking back at it, it's easy to say now looking back, but it just didn't seem right at the time, and then you see this manage into what seemed to be, you know, Georgia's for a good long while and he had been visiting too for some orange bowl practices which guess what they're facing the georgia bulldogs next weekend 
Yeah, very uh, tough for Florida State. Like you said, it it was definitely an awkward situation outside the Moore. Whenever KJ finished his official visit this past weekend, um, you know, we had started doing the normal interview process and got about three or four questions in. And then his mom walked over and pulled him away and said, we've got to go and pulled him into the car. And we were all standing there for a couple minutes and then he got back out of the car. And that was when he was asked, you know, the video that people see floating around on social media where um, he was straight up asked, are you planning to sign with Florida State on Wednesday? And he responded, you know, come on, man, you know that. And something about getting his uh, letter of intent, which he did leave the facility that day with the, the letter of intent. But, you know, Georgia, you know, they, they had some resources become available as of late. Um, they had a five-star quarterback flip to Nebraska. They've had some guys who were very high caliber recruits and also good players at the college level enter the transfer portal and move on. You know, they needed a win. And I think that everyone can kind of tell that they went all out to get it, but it's another, you know, you can't say anything else except that it's disappointing and it's a failure for Florida state. You know, you had it happen with, Travis Hunter a couple years ago, but you know you can make the argument. You know he he loved Deion Sanders growing up, and Florida State was five and seven um, at the time, and even last year, you know with Keldrick Falk flipping, it's the hometown school, and they also had a pretty good NIL offer on the table. But with this one, you know KJ Bolden, saying Florida State's his dream school. Here we are in this scenario um, once again. You know coming to Florida State back in August. As you said, Logan, being a really vocal recruiter for this class and, you know, pumping FSU up throughout the season. And then you have Florida State also finish 13-0, and do everything right on the field, ACC champions, future looks really bright, and you get the last visit before he signs and you lose out anyway. So terrible uh, situation for the Seminoles. Sometimes the money is not enough. And to say it's a failure to me is a stretch, especially considering the DB class you still have coming in between – Charles Lesser, Jamari Howard, Kai Bates, and Ricky Knight. That's a very talented secondary class. K.J. Bolden would have been absolutely the ice on the cake and arguably the best of the bunch, but it's not like you don't have great players coming in already. You know, it's a very, very talented secondary class, one of the best in the country. So to me to say it's a failure is a stretch. Disappointing for sure, but still a ton of talent that, that you can hang your hat on back there. They're really great ones, but K.J. was the top talent in that defensive backfield class coming in. He was the top player overall in the class. Would have been the top player that Mike Norvell has signed since he arrived at Florida State. And again, it's just the optics of once again losing your top recruit at the very end of the cycle after having him in the fold for this long and then letting him slip out of your fingers. Um, there's some questions about how Florida State is able to close these recruiting cycles. Yeah, they're not fin- they're not finishing well when you would expect them to. And these players come in and. What Minervell has been able to do, they build those relationships and everything, but it's just that finish there at the very end that they just cannot get done. And, um, you know, if it's up to also staff and, you know, we've saw what Coach Sertan has been able to do in just his first year here, not even a first, not even a year fully, but what he's been able to do in his tenure at Florida State and what, you know, you saw on the field too, but bringing in some serious talent in that defensive back room. Yeah, it's not – it's, it, I guess it's a different kind of failure, in my opinion, just because you were so close to, you know, bringing in your top talent that you had in the class. But is it a failure for this 2024 class? Is it is a, a debacle? Absolutely not. There's 
there, there's some good talent there, but KJ Bolden is a special athlete. He's a two-way guy. He's got the, he's got some crazy abilities that, you know, Mike Norvell, you know, kind of uh, it, like drools at that he can add to his, his arsenal on offense. And that's what makes his offense go so well is getting the ball to his playmakers. And we saw that last year. We saw this in this season right now, but um, it, it, it's, it's just not a great look either. Like you're saying, Dustin, the optics aren't great. And you just have a lot of question marks of what needs to be done in order to solidify these top tier guys getting into your program and not having them slip at the last minute. It, it's it's getting old. It's getting old, and that shouldn't be the case going out going and and winning thirteen and L. And it's still a very good class, a top ten class. You're bringing in four blue chip defensive backs, but it's just the way you finish, and you know it just kind of leaves a sour taste and some people's mouths to lose your top recruit in that in that type of fashion so sour taste in too many people's mouths if i'm being honest like it's one recruit florida state's gonna be more than fine i can guarantee that <laughs> they've gone 13 and 0 without any five stars at this point i don't think kj bolden's gonna make a huge difference on next year or the year after that if i'm being completely honest there's and still the, plenty of talent there and the good thing is you do have charles lester coming in who is a five-star defensive back in his own right and someone that's been committed to Florida State, you know, since before K.J. Bolden, another guy who grew up, wanted to play at Florida State, and now he followed through and will get the opportunity to do so. And Mike Norvell had a lot of positive things to say about him uh, during the signing day press conference. Yep. Um, and then, too, I want to jump over to another one. We'll, we'll get the bad stuff out of the way early. That way we can jump into some fun stuff. And it's going to be a roller coaster ride because we also get to talk about uh, we also get to talk about uh, DJ Lundy and, and some Joshua Farmer stuff and Ronnie Hill. But it's going to be a roller coaster of a ride of a show. But just sit back, relax. Things will get a little bit smoother here. But let's talk about Jeremiah Smith, a, a player that would just have been icing on the cake. Uh, for this 2024 class coming in, but number one rated recruit in the country, been committed to Ohio State for a very long time, and he ends up sticking with his commitment and going to Ohio State. Uh, thoughts on that one, Dustin? You know, Florida State was pushing very hard here, and they've been able to do this a couple times with some top-tier athletes across the country, but just couldn't get close enough to make that flip to put him in Ron Dugan's wide receiver room. This was always an uphill battle for Florida State to climb. You know, obviously Smith has been committed to Ohio State already for about a year, and everyone knows the history that the Buckeyes have with producing wide receivers, even getting Marvin Harrison Jr. to the Heisman ceremony this season, as well as the Bullet Knopf Award, and having Brian Hartline there, someone who Smith has a, a really good relationship with. So this was always going to be a really tough flip for Florida State to pull off, and you know, they did everything right. They showed the development with their own wide receivers and everyone got to see what Keon Coleman was able to do. Um, Johnny Wilson, some other guys in that unit producing as well. The coaches had a really good relationship there with Smith. They got him on campus for the official visit very late in the recruiting cycle. And, you know, I honestly think the Seminoles were right there in this recruitment and did everything they could on their end to win out. But Ohio State, just enough in the end to uh, finish off and secure Smith's signature, the the number one prospect in the 2024 class. Which I can't even blame him. You know, if I'm a top flight wide receiver, why not go to Ohio State? Given all the talent they produced at wide receiver recently between Chris Olavi, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, obviously Marvin Harrison Jr., they've just continued to pr produce really good NFL receivers. And while Florida State's receiver room 
in a much better place than it was two seasons ago. It's not like Ohio State's been the last couple of seasons. So that one doesn't surprise me. It's another one of those, you know, it would have been a great icing on the cake, but there's a ton of talented receivers in Florida State's class, and I think they'll be okay. Obviously, Jeremiah Smith would have been amazing. But, again, mm-hmm. like with the secondary, there's a ton of talent coming in at that receiver room. Yeah, not even coming in, but you look back at Florida State's class last year, too, with Hakeem Williams, who I think we're now very intrigued and seeing more of going into this next year, getting into the camp just because of the flash that we saw a little bit. And this year, as a true freshman, then also Vondravius Jacobs, who we are super stoked to see more of going into next season. You can just see the, the ability that he has, too, whenever he got into some games this year. And there was some reliability, too, um, later in the season with him. So... There, there's a ton of talent there and still some that are being developed as well. Um, this, like I said earlier when opening this conversation, it's just a, it's a, it's a recruit that has a super amount of talent and it would have been just fun to add him to the, this team. But um, you know, the big loss is KJ Bolden and Florida state's going to do what they can moving forward outside of this and, and see what they need in that transfer portal moving forward. But just those two guys in specifics, um, you know, one meant a little bit more just because of what they already had in that class. But I, I give respect to Jeremiah Smith holding on to that commitment, man. He, he was hearing from a ton of schools and Florida state was pushing very hard, but that was a, a loyal guy that ended up sticking around. And I give respect to that for, for a young kid like that. For sure. Would have been nice to have him, but Florida state, this is another position. You got floor four um, blue chip wide receivers coming in and, you know, some with some real potential thing about a guy like Elijah Moore, really tantalizing skill set has some, Keon Coleman qualities to his game and, you know, is going to be a real red zone threat and we'll see how he develops. Camden Fryer, guy who's been committed forever. Loane McCoy, someone, a dynamic South Florida athlete that Mike Norvell um, really praised today. And then you've got BJ Gibson as well, another guy who's been in the fold for a good amount of time and a really good athlete. So it's another position where you were able to sign some really good prospects. I like me some Camden Fryer, D. Lou. Love me some Camden Fryer. I think he's got got a great mentality. He came on here with Luke, and uh, those two already pair so well together chemistry-wise and relationship-wise and on the field, as we saw multiple times, but more specifically when we were in person watching them compete uh, against some good talent, some that are actually on FSU's roster now in that defensive back room. But Camden Fryer is, is someone that I think Mike Gravel is really, really excited to add to this team. And so let's start talking about some some good stuff here, guys, because this is a really impressive, impressive class coming into Florida State in 2024. Let's start off at the very I want to. I, I, we got to give props here where it's due, and let's start off with someone you were tweeting about, Dustin Lewis. And I know it was later in the day where it, it came in officially, but let's talk Cam Davis. Cam Davis, someone that stuck around for a long while when Florida State wasn't at their where they're at now. That's for damn sure. But really, really talented running back that stuck with Flor uh, with Florida State, and you know is also here. The Spear alum came on here and, and told us all about his commitment and why he picked Florida State and specifically Mike Ravel, Coach Yak as as well too. But uh, how about Cam Davis and, and what Florida State's getting out of him? Not only as a player on the field, but just uh, that that kind of mentality and just focus and, and honestly loyalty that this Florida State program uh, is really going to like. I, I love me some Cam Davis. I mean, that that kid is just different than a lot of the um, recruits that you deal with in this day and age. And, you know, you talk about loyalty. He's kind of the epitome of that. Been committed to Florida State since before the 2021 season. 
over a thousand days. And, you know, there were some tough times uh, early on when he committed Florida state started off that uh, 2021 year. Oh, and four, there were some people at the time who jumped off the boat, um, including Landon Thomas, you know, who obviously ended up jumping back on and signing with Florida state today, but um, Cam Davis stuck around. Um, and he was also a five-star prospect at the time when he signed with FSU and has continued to be very productive at the high school level, playing multiple sports while he's been committed to Florida state. But, you know, when a prospect commits to a school, especially so early, you kind of lose out on some of those storylines and the drama down the stretch and Cam Davis, his recruiting ranking suffered some because of that. But I mean, man, this is an elite running back coming into Florida state, a guy who has been loyal and recruited for this class since day one, the very first member of it and still here standing after all of this time. And, you know, he's finally going to be enrolling in Tallahassee in January. And the running back room has kind of opened up some. You've got Trey Benson moving on to the NFL. We'll see about Rodney Hill, but now officially in the portal. C.J. Campbell committed to uh, Florida Atlantic earlier today, going to be continuing his career there. So congrats to him. But there's definitely some room um, at running back for Cam Davis to come in and make an instant impact. And, you know, he's that type of guy. He's got that mentality where he wants to come in and play a role. And actually what impressed me was after his official visit, he said that he wants to be one of the most vocal players in the running back room as soon as he steps on campus, which, I mean, just so impressive, you know, for a 17, 18 year old to already have that mentality. This may be crazy, but he kind of reminds me of when, when Cam Akers first came in. They're both grown men, little undersized, about five, five, ten, five, eleven. But they're just grown men and ready to come in and compete right away. I think you're going to have a chance to make an impact. Like you said, with Rodney Hill, probably more than likely moving on. You know, there's, there's chances to get some of those snaps with Kaiseya Holmes and Lawrence Tofili in the fold as well. But he's a special player. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing him on the field next year. Let's jump over to another one. Let's start with the with these guys that uh, have been essential in building this 2024 class. But we got to talk about Luke Cromanhawk. Florida State's future at quarterback, blue chip quarterback. Uh, a lot of analysts, a lot of scouts there that were at the Elite 11 think that he might have the highest ceiling out of a lot of those quarterbacks that, that were there competing. But you get your you get your bell cow, you get your guy that's of the future. Mike Norvell finally gets his guy. If you think about it, man, he hasn't been able to bring in maybe someone that he hasn't had to emergency kind of grab there at the end. I mean, Brock Lynn is maybe a different one of those one of those recruits, but outside of, outside of Glenn though, you know, Minor Bell hasn't been able to bring in his guy that they self evaled. And since doing that, a lot of schools came after Luke, we saw a, kind of a message that he put out on Twitter saying, you know, about loyalty and the definition of it. So you could definitely tell some programs were trying to get in touch with Luke, but uh, from listening to him here on here, the spear, when he came on here and talked with us, you, you could just tell that he was bought into the vision and the process of Mike Bell and, uh, uh, sure enough, uh, Florida State gets their future at the quarterback position. It was actually just one school that was trying to reach out to Luke Cromanog late in the recruiting cycle. And I was actually able to confirm that the Georgia Bulldogs made a late run at Cromanog, obviously a very talented player who's from the Peach State. And that was ahead, well, around that time of them losing um, Dylan Briola, the five-star quarterback commit to Nebraska. So scrambling there to try and get another quarterback late in the cycle, reached out to Croman Honk and tried to get him on campus. And, you know, instead he ended up in Tallahassee actually this past weekend for a little bit of time. And 
Um, did some recruiting, spoke with KJ Bolden. That one didn't end up working out, but regardless, he was on campus, and we're expecting him actually to join the team now shortly for some of these bowl practices. And he'll be uh, he'll be able to travel to the Orange Bowl, but won't be el- eligible to play in the actual game. But you know, some good experience for him, and you know, going to be an early enrollee as well, and get a head start to this program. And um, Luke Cromanhawk, the highest-rated quarterback to sign with Florida State since Jameis Winston. I mean, he's truly an elite prospect. And what's crazy is he's only started two years at the high school level. Whenever Florida State offered him a scholarship back in uh, the summer of 2021, at the time, Cromanhawk didn't have any other scholarships, hadn't started a game um, at the high school level, and had spent most of his time playing wide receiver and safety and on special teams. So um, a testament to Luke, you know, for continuing to develop and also Florida State, Mike Norvell, Tony Tokars for this evaluation because to believe in that kid before he's really done anything on paper, I mean, just shows, I think, their scouting ability with what Cromenhawk has developed into. On one hand, I was kind of surprised to see Georgia make a late run considering they already have a blue-chip quarterback prospect still signed with them and Ryan Puglisi. I'm just taking a guess on how to pronounce that last name, but at the same time, Luke Cromenhawk so talented, especially being in the state of Georgia. That's a kid you expect Georgia to, to you know, take a stab at, get a chance at, but shout out Luke. Really, my one can play with him is he doesn't have a W last name. <laughs> yeah, but hey, maybe there's another one that's going to come in and help guide him that has a W name and maybe. one that's really familiar to Florida State fans. Who knows? But yeah, Luke, Luke's special talent uh, per 247 sports, the composite. He's a top five quarterback, but like I said, really impressed some people that know quite a bit of things about quarterbacks whenever he was there competing in the Elite 11. So um, those two guys, Cam Davis and Luke, are those that really kind of stand out when when I think about this class and as as an actual natural bell cow, those two are uh, the ones that stand out to me. Uh, And another one, too, I want to start off with as well, and I want to go to the defensive side. I think we got to talk about Charles Lester. We were there for that uh, commitment, which was a wild, wild <laughs> commitment. Super fun. Ended up being super fun. It, it took a lot, little while, but we got Lester there and ended up being a blast. But I uh, saw him commit to Florida State, had the spear in his hand, came off the throne, had a crown on and everything. And and he's someone, though, Dustin, you know, I think we talked about on here, too. You know, we were kind of like, all right, Let's see how long maybe Lester sticks. Will he actually stick all the way throughout his recruitment and stay a Seminole? And sure enough, he did. And uh, he ended up being actually one of Florida State's big bell cows as well in this class and was trying to connect there with KJ Bolden, helped a ton in some of this running back or defensive back room that Coach Sertan is bringing in uh, this next cycle. But Charles Lester, he, he's, a sem- he's a Seminole and uh, really talented that you could put him either in that corner position. You can kind of bounce around if you want to at safety, but super, super talented. And, you know, one thing I heard from Mike Norvell after, you know, during his press conference, just talking about him, you know, he, he's got a personality and we know that we got to, we got to find out as commitment. He's really good kid and gave us some time afterwards to get an interview, but uh, just said, he's really smart, man. Charles Lester is really smart on the field. He just has that kind of knack to him that you like and a, and a player of that kind of talent that you can add in with the smarts. Like 
I go back and think of like a Jalen or, or a Derwin, you know, those, those guys that have that natural ability in their head and where they need to be. Uh, but yeah, Charles Lester, he's a Seminole and Florida State fan, should be hella happy tonight. And there was no real drama with his recruitment other than kind of what he was uh, stirring yeah. up himself because at the end of the day, Charles Lester wasn't going anywhere except for Florida State. Um, he was actually in Tallahassee over the weekend um, unofficial, for an unofficial visit, uh, kind of shoring, shoring some things up. And getting. he actually walked out when he left with his letter of intent. And he's another guy that we're expecting to join the team here for bowl practices in the near future. But a very special athlete, a very special person on and off the field. And, you know, he's going to bring some charisma, some real energy to this Florida State program. And He's also going to bring some talent. You know, there hasn't been a ton of five-star prospects that the Seminoles have been able to sign as of late. And you get a, an elite prospect here in Charles Lester, someone who's played on both sides at the high school level. Going to settle in here, I think, start him off at corner in Tallahassee. But, you know, we'll see. Florida State kind of cross-trains a lot of their defensive backs, and um, his future could be anywhere in that defensive backfield. But there's another one. You know, Mike Norvell has a really good relationship with Lester, obviously, but Pat Sertan first year in Tallahassee and he's able to pull in um, a five-star on Charles Lester and then a couple of other blue chip defensive backs as well. I love the size they've got, a, got in the secondary this year between Charles Lester, who's six, one Jamari Howard, six, two Kai Bates is six, two. And then Ricky, Ricky Knight's a long six foot, just so much size in that secondary. And it's, it's finally getting back to the times when you had the Jalen Ramsey's and the Xavier Rhodes, just so many long corners in that room again. It's going to be fun to watch them. You know, be physical with some receivers. There's going to be no more of the Jarvis Brownleys and the Kevin Knowles, the undersized guys matching up. They're going to have, they're going to have some real size out there. It's going to be fun to watch. Yep. I like that Lester swag that he has with them. It feels like it's the Florida State way and that defensive backfield, in my opinion. And um, just someone that's stuck with that commitment, man. I love that he was teasing around a little bit. And some some commits also throwing some shade at Dion. It was pretty pretty funny but that's something you know lester told us at that commitment ceremony man he, he's locked in and he was doing a lot to try and do some recruiting and he was able to land a few guys and bolden was one of those but you know in the end all be all you know at some point that that coaching staff and and whatever else nil related uh, uh, figures it out on its own it's not up to lester in that point but yeah one of the top cornerbacks in the country is coming to florida state and do i think you're gonna be you're gonna have some fun watching him uh, any chance you get in the early parts of this spring, whenever he, uh, he's early enrolling and everything, it's going to be a fun player to watch. Uh, let's jump into, and this is going to kind of start just becoming a discussion. And Dustin, you know, you can maybe bring in, uh, bring up a few more, but Landon Thomas, another player that is going to be a dynamic offensive player for the Florida State Seminoles, one of the top talented tight ends in the country. Like we talked about earlier, once was committed to Florida State, went to Georgia, then flipped back to Florida State and came back to the Seminoles and now is in this class of adding some serious talent to that offensive side of the ball. Um, but any anybody that – I mean, there's a few more that I want to mention as well, but maybe Landon Thomas because he's well worth having a discussion about with how much talent he brings. Yeah, Landon Thomas, a big one for Florida State. Um, another top 100 recruit, really good, versatile tight end at the high school level. Mike Norvell actually called him the best tight end in the country when referencing him uh, during the early signing day press conference a little bit ago. And, 
you know, he's he's got a chance to develop into something special in Tallahassee, someone who's a, a very versatile receiving threat already at the high school level and a high effort blocker, you know, for someone who hasn't been in college and gotten to learn those techniques and nuances yet. But the effort is there with him. And um, I think he's going to be a special one for Florida State, getting to getting a chance to be in Tallahassee and rolling early. And this is another position where the offense has had some departures at tight end and to bring in a prospect like him and also to get him in early. I think there's going to be a chance that he plays an immediate role in this offense and, you know, the future is bright for sure. There's a chance he's tied in too, almost right away. I mean, you have Warlock coming back, but after that, Jaheim Bell's moving on to the NFL, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. And then Biscuit just, he committed to Arizona State, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, you're battling with Brian Courtney and Jarrell Powers. And Jackson West, most improved. I, I, do, I, 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 I don't <laughs> count Jackson West as a real player, I'm going to be honest. So, Landon Thomas is going to have a chance to be tied in too next year. And, you know, he's a very good player and for good reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I like him watching some of the film uh, and then also to some of these seven on sevens we saw him doing, man, he he just has that natural ability with the hands, man, and he's got that reach. And so, yeah, Mike Norvell, very excited to have him added into 2024. Uh, I would say Mike, uh, I would say the offensive line class really yeah. impressive for Florida State. A lot of developmental guys who could develop into starters or, you know, some really quality players in the future. Obviously you get ITT, the um, international prospect. He was in Tallahassee this last weekend for his official visit. And I mean, he's absolutely massive, a, a really big guy coming in with his frame, also very athletic. So he's not going to get here till the summer, but still one that's going to be really exciting once, uh, Alex Atkins gets to work gets to work with him for a little bit. And then you've also got Jonathan Daniels coming in, um, Ty Hilton, and also Jaden Todd. And one thing about all these guys, I mean, you're talking about some really big offensive linemen. I think they're all six foot four or bigger. And Florida State made a point to go after guys who are very athletic. So some really promising guys coming in up front who can develop over the years. I one that I like a lot is Elijah Moore. Yeah. Uh, one of the really talented wide receivers ended up picking Florida State, but just the physical attributes. And then you see that. And then also, too, you got to speak with him, Dustin, but looking at film as well, he's just kind of got that. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it like stands out. Like he just got that natural kind of feeling of a wide receiver that can make some plays of a not going to say he's going to be like a, a, a key on, but he has a high, high ceiling. Just looking at some of his film. See, yeah, six, six, four and a half, 200 already. I'm just like imagining what Coach Storms can do with him, man. I'm just imagining. And Ron Dugans does like that kind of size at wide receiver. We've seen that with a few of these guys. They like some tall and got some size with them as well. So there's Elijah Moore. There's Elijah Moore for you. Um, if you don't like Elijah Moore, I thought you liked Elijah Moore, Dustin. My connection is messing up. Oh, uh-oh. But, yeah. I'm going to lead you into another one here in a second. 
but it's going to be someone from your, you're an alum from this school. So you should know who it is. Hopefully your connection's doing good, but also Florida state landed a talented running back, really fast shifty guy with Makai Danzi. Uh, going to be a local guy as well, but four star ranked on two, four, seven sports, but six, one, one seventy-five. someone that is going to join cam Davis in this running back room in the future. But I don't know if you missed it there, Dustin, but I was talking about Elijah Moore earlier. Yeah, I heard you. Um, like you said, a guy with a lot of potential, almost six foot five, very long. And I was kind of saying it earlier, but he's going to be a heck of a red zone threat. Someone that can go up there and make those contested catches in traffic. Doesn't matter how many defenders are around him. Just has that special knack to uh, make plays that others can't. And I think Florida State really saw something in him, made this push. And you got to remember, this is one that the Seminoles won out for over Ohio State. And, you know, we were just talking about um, Jeremiah Smith finalizing that pledge and what the Buckeyes have done with wide receivers. So for the Seminoles to get someone that Ohio State and Brian Hartline wanted, I think that says something about the caliber of prospect that Elijah Moore is. And, you know, he's another one that I think has a very bright future as long as everything goes right as he continues to develop. And then I was talking about Danzy too. You're an alum from there. So you got to show him some love as well. Yeah, Danzy, I think the perfect kind of pairing mate for Davis in that backfield. You've got the traditional really running back and Cam Davis and then kind of uh, the tailback and Danzy who can help there um, not only as a running back but also out of the backfield catching passes as well, can stretch the defense outside the tackle. Um, did deal with an injury during his senior season at Florida High, but – I mean, man, his junior season where um, Florida High was able to make it to the state championship, he was one of the best, if not the very best, in the entire state of Florida um, back there in that at that running back position and averaged, I mean, I think it was nine yards per carry, something, something ridiculous. Had a really good season, mm. um, someone that Florida State has fallen in love with over the past couple of years, and, you know, he's going to be uh, one of those guys to go from growing up in Tallahassee having that dream to play in Garnet and Gold and then actually get to do it now at Florida State, going to play football and also run track um, for the Seminoles. And, you know, someone, Mike Norvell, was talking about it, thinks that this could be the most dynamic class in the country as far as bringing in Cam Davis and Makai Danzi in that backfield. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now there's some serious talent of just playmakers that have a lot of upside and they can stay and be developed by their position coaches like Ron Dugans and also to going over to coach Yak and what we've known that he's been able to do with his resume and his tenure at Florida state. These guys get developed in that room. So you can just imagine what Davis and uh, looking at Danzy, th those two as a duo can do moving forward. And, you know, one thing, you know, I think just not going name my name, but just a discussion overall. What what do you think is the biggest miss here in the position group? Because, yeah, I mean, one that stands out to me the most is probably bringing in some talent that can be a year two guy or maybe jump in in year one. But Florida State continues to lack in the defensive line unit and in the trenches as well. And, you know, Florida State, yes, they're going to bring in a few guys. A lot of these guys, though, I think is de developmental. Like, I don't think you see true – through playing time at the caliber of what you want it to be to be a difference maker for until 2020, 2026 with some of these guys. I mean, it's just going to take a little while. And what Florida State 
back in the day, man, they could bring in some dogs there that would be, uh, like I said earlier, difference makers, playmakers there that can get to the backfield. And I think that's something Florida State continues to lack year by year. And they had to go in the transfer portal a few times with bringing in Daryl Jackson. Didn't get to see him play this last year, but Braden Fisk from Western Michigan, they had to rely on those transfers to come in and, you know, would like to have some guys come in and be developed. And yeah, you lost Ayabame Tafase. He's in the transfer portal. Um, and then you've also got Daniel Lyons, who's you've seen some strides there. Uh, you lost Bishop Thomas as well. And he went on to Colorado, but still of that magnitude, though, they're not bringing in the serious talent that you would expect a Florida State defensive line to have kind of on, on, a, on a yearly level. And it's just definitely fallen off. And, you know, Coach, H- Coach Higgins, there, there's got to be some, uh, I don't know, accountability at, at some regard. And it just depends. And really interested in, to me in a lot of discussion is, you know, what does Florida State do moving forward? And what does Mike Norvell do in, in some of these areas where defensive line and linebacker is, is thin going into next season? You pretty much kind of said it all. At least for me, looking at this recruiting class, the only real – point of criticism is right there up at that defensive front you know you didn't you didn't bring in enough edge prospects you've only got dd holmes and he's definitely someone that's gonna have to develop before he can play a significant role in tallahassee we'll see about marvin jones jr you know we haven't got to talk about him yet but we won't a little bit and then on the interior also bringing in two prospects um jamori flag and then you're able to close on denaz white here late this uh late this wednesday evening but those are also guys that are gonna need to take some time and develop and right now with you look at the guys that are going out of this program you don't have that time at defensive end you're losing jared verse and you need someone to step up opposite of patrick payton as long as long as he doesn't enter the portal um and you know right now behind him you've only got gilbert edmund and byron turner jr that have really any experience in that unit and on the interior, I mean, it's just been absolutely decimated now, especially with Malcolm Ray officially in the portal. Right now, that means there's uh, four eligible scholarship defensive tackles that come back next year. So you've got Daryl Jackson, Joshua Farmer, Daniel Lyons, and K.J. Sampson. That's it. That's that's not enough. Even if you do bring in the two let, – let's say all four of those guys stay. You bring in the two from the recruiting class – that's still not enough. Florida State's going to have to do some heavy portal hunting here on the interior and, and on the outside of that defensive front because you need more talent and you need more bodies, plain and simple. Linebacker depth has to get better as well, but just to stick with defensive linemen, they've just lived in the portal so far between Verse, Gilbert Edmond, Kier Thomas, Jermaine Johnson, Braden Fisk, Fabian Lovett, Darrell Jackson – and I may be even forgetting somebody, but that's just how they've lived these last couple of years. And is that sustainable? I certainly think it is to an extent, but you also have to so- have some guys you can develop, especially when you're consistently losing guys. So eventually that's going to have to get better. But linebacker, man, just you got to you got to find some quality there, because especially with DJ Lundy currently sitting in the portal and you're looking at your projected starters as Blake Nicholson and Omar Graham as of right now. And I'm sure a few people just started sweating with that. You know, you <laughs> can't just be getting Tamir Hickman Collins this year. You took a bunch of developmental guys last year. The whole front seven has to get better in general, but especially linebacker and defensive tackle, they've, they've really got to shore that up. No, that's another one where they've gotten thinned out without DJ Lundy. 
Um, like you said, Omar Graham, Blake Nicholson. Then you've got uh, Justin Pryor and DeMarco Ward, and that's it for returning scholarship linebackers. You're you're signing two guys who I do like a good bit. I think they're underrated in Jaden Parrish and Tamir Hickman Collins, but they're not they're not guys that you want to rely on in 2024 to play big roles. So if Florida can get two blue chip linebacker prospects, there's no reason Florida State can't get one. Mm-hmm. And they if you really think about it, they kind of relied too on these veterans to stay healthy this last year. I mean, if, if, if both, both, of course, yeah, Lundy's in the portal now, but just going to Bethune and then also looking at Deloach, you know, they relied a lot on those two guys to stay healthy throughout the season. And Lundy was able to come in and get playing time. But outside of that, you know, you're working on Blake Nicholson. He arrived late as well too, but some of those guys, the majority are, project guys and you got to develop them for a year and yes you would see omar graham jr jump in there but you could see at times though he was kind of all of sorts on on the field at times and we were expecting to see maybe a better jump out of him but yeah florida state's got to get better there in the linebacker room and it's got to start on the recruiting trail in high school rather than having to rely on the transfer portal um and yeah, Florida State can show on paper that they can bring in top tier talent the defensive end room but at some point, you want to bring in some talent that you can develop on your own, like a Pat Payton uh, that you've shown you've been able to do. Um, it's just we'll, we'll talk about the Joshua Farmer situation, too, because this whole trenches talk, you know, a lot of things changes because Lundy's in this situation, Farmer's in that situation as well. Two essential people that you need going into 2024. And you don't know if they're going to be sticking around. Shoot, you don't know if Pat Payton's going to be sticking around after this season. It's a really, really tough spot that Florida State needs to figure out and might need to make changes going into this next season. And I know there's a lot of loyalty between Mike Norvell and his staff members and yada, 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 but it's just becoming a reoccurring theme. And I understand Florida State does good in the transfer portal, but it just makes things so much easier if you're able to bring in these true freshmen with talent that um, can either make an impact early on or you can develop and have going into 2025 it's just uh there's got to be some accountability held here soon and norvell's got to do that uh and he can't be the main recruiter for every single one of these you know he, he can't he does not have the time to do this he's doing enough on throughout the game season but he, these assistants they've got to step it up they got to step it up to, to uh, some extent i agree and to some extent i disagree I said this to y'all the other day, but I think we're like three to five years away from high school recruiting being supremely undervalued as teams start to realize the transfer portal more and more. You know, obviously you like to have the high-end recruiting classes, but if you look at what Florida State's done the past couple years, you know, in 2022, they signed 17 players, eight of them or seven of them already in the portal or have left. Same with the 21 class. I think eight guys have already left from that, from 17 enrollees. I wouldn't be surprised to see more of college football follow that same trend and you're seeing them just emphasize the blue chip guys and then go after more transfers. They're taking, you know, 13 to 18 high school guys and not the 25, 28 person high school classes like Florida state was going to sign this year. I think they ended up at 23. So to some extent, I do agree. You want to get the guys that you can develop, but at the same time, you know, if, if 40% of the classes are going to transfer out in two years, anyways, why waste the time? Why waste the assets? Go get guys that can play right away. 
I understand the argument. You know, that's kind of where we're at. You you kind of have to pose the question, is it worth it to develop guys now with where college football is trending? I mean, you brought in Mark Easton Douglas, and now he's transferring out to go play somewhere else. Uh, you brought in you brought in Joshua Farmer, who hasn't officially entered the portal and but he's played this game even, three times now. Didn't even put out an announcement. Well, I'm just I'm just saying, but Florida State brought him in a three star prospect about 240, 245 pounds at the time and has developed him over the years into what he is. Same thing with DJ Lundy. Rodney Hill was on that developmental track to be very a be a very good player at Florida State, still could be. We'll see if he comes back. Malcolm Ray, a guy that's developed at Florida State. So I mean, you build all these guys over the years and then lose them, uh, you know, frankly, over off-field circumstances and things like that. And it just sucks. It, the way that the game is changing, I, I mean, I think we could see it where you're looking at maybe 50% or more of your roster changing year over year. I think that's kind of where we're trending unless there's some way to put guidelines or rules in place. And I don't I don't really know how you do it. To it, Until – until the NCAA crumbles, I'll just go ahead and say, until the NCAA is no longer a thing, and then we can finally start getting collective bargainings and contracts and things like that, this is going to how it's going to be for a while. And I, I think, I honestly think going forward, the most successful teams are going to be the ones that are getting the most impactful transfers. It's been the most impactful recruiting classes in the past couple of years just because Georgia and Alabama have been so dominant getting those guys in the high school ratings. And the transfers haven't caught up yet. I think as that starts to bounce out, I think you're going to see teams that dominate the portal do really, really well. And, you know, we see what Ole Miss has done so far this offseason. They've attacked the transfer portal like no other, and they've got a really mm -hmm. talented team next year. So if they come out next year and go 11-1 and one in a really talented SEC, you're going to see some teams go, oh, why can't we do that? Mm -hmm. One thing, too, quarterbacks are being developed really quickly where they can go in and start right away and put on a good product. And we're seeing that now with Oregon and what they're going to do now with you're bringing in Dylan Gabriel, who Florida State faced last year in their bowl game down in Orlando. And now he's over there with Dan Lanning, going to play next year. And then right behind him is Dante Moore transferring from UCLA over there. And he's going to sit out a year and, you know, watch what Gabriel does and get developed. And so, you know, you can kind of stack a transfer on another transfer at this point. And Florida State, luckily, like I was saying earlier, they have a great resume and being able to get guys in. You could come in, play. We saw, you know, Jared Verse is one of those players where he could have gone last year, obviously, but was a good idea for the comeback and put some good tape on and, um, you know, have another stellar season for the Seminoles. And that's going to that has boosted him up and to be in one of the top defensive ends in this 2024 NFL draft once we get into April. But Florida State. Still, you know, there's an argument for everything, but, you know, it, it, I agree. Yeah, it, it's going heavy into the transfer portal and Florida State has, has been good to be able to do that. But, you know, we'll get to the discussion here in a minute after we talk about Marvin Jones Jr. But there's some serious situations like in the comments now talking about why are we allowing for our primary guys, starting players from the defensive side of the ball, enter you know, get into the transfer portal and also offensively. You talk about Rodney Hill too. You know, that's a potential starter going into next season just of the capability that he has and we've seen. Uh, I want to talk about Marvin Jones Jr. We talked about him visiting last week on Wednesday's show, but tonight we can officially say not everything's signed yet and sent in yet. 
But Ryan Jones Jr. has committed to the Florida State Seminoles, obviously. Legacy of Shade Tree, one of the best linebackers, not just best at Florida State, but one of the best linebackers ever to play the game. But his son is now at Florida State Seminole previously with Georgia. Um, but you know, now is coming into FSU, wanted to get a new change of scenery. And I think with how Marvin Jones Jr. played in high school, I think it's going to develop and what the kind of scheme that Adam Fuller will utilize him in. This one was needed. We talked about the struggles along along the defensive front, and now you get to bring in a guy, Marvin Jones Jr., um, obviously, like you said, a legacy, a former five-star prospect, transferred from Georgia, has some um, SEC and championship experience now hasn't played a ton for the Bulldogs um, over his for well over his two years in Athens. Athens did deal with a shoulder injury, but started to finally show some of that promises last year. Got into the rotation with Georgia, made his first start in the SEC championship against Alabama, um, and has a lot of potential for Florida State to tap. Is going to come right into Tallahassee. You know, played an outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme in Georgia, going to come into Florida State and play that traditional defensive end role in a 4-3 system under defensive coordinator Adam Fuller. I think that could help him, you know, getting back to that just traditional spot that he was able to play back during his prep career when he had a lot of success. And, frankly, there's a lot of playing time to uh, be had for Marvin Jones Jr. He's going to walk through that door and be one of the most talented players on that defensive front and be able to assume – a big role out of the gate, you know, going to be able to go through the team for spring and um, get used to that defensive system. And it's going to be really exciting to see what he does with the Seminoles. They're going to need him to um, assume that five-star role that he had coming out of high school, really start to blossom and stay healthy this offseason, play a big role in 2024. Yeah, once again, those high school relationships went out a couple years later. Hopefully he ends up being everything we thought he could be coming out of high school, but it's good to see a Marvin Jones back in Tallahassee. That's for sure. <laughs> it certainly feels good. And that's another player, Dustin, that you'll be wanting to see whenever he gets out there on the field. He's just someone that if JP and what they can do on uh, the end position, get him going and, and take it to a different level than maybe what Georgia, Georgia, he just wasn't fitting that system well. And I think you can see him smoothly jump in and, and be a real big time competitor for a starting spot going into the 2024 season. Um, and if he's got any kind of that natural genetics from his father, uh, uh, that, that's, uh, that's, that's a steal right there from him. But um, yeah, nothing, nothing officially official yet, but he, he's put out his public commitment to the Seminoles. And this is why you continue to recruit guys, even if you're going to lose out on that original recruitment. You know, you think about Jeremiah Smith today or um, even LJ McRae, you know, sticking with that commitment to Florida over FSU and Auburn. That's why you continue to do this until the very end, because you don't know how things are going to play out. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr., Florida State, recruited him down to the wire, um, lost out that decision. But, you know, once he hops in the portal, You've already got a relationship with Mike Norvell and JP. Obviously, the ties to Florida State help here as well. And in this case, you also had his former high school coach. We mentioned on the last, last episode that Pat Sertan coached him at American Heritage High School, but him now in Tallahassee as well. Just kind of helps facilitate things and make it a lot easier whenever these talented guys hit the portal. So we'll see. You know, some of these guys today, LJ McRae, um, Florida's got a really tough schedule in 2024. There's no – 
there's no telling that Billy Napier is going to survive that slate. And if so, McCray might be in the portal a year from now. And guess what? Florida State built a very good relationship with him for not just a couple of days, but a couple of years. And that'll be something to think about if maybe one day he does get in the portal and is available for a second recruitment. But that's why Florida State does this. Even if it looks unlikely down the stretch, you continue to try. And even if it doesn't work out that day, who knows, a year, two years, three years, Keon Coleman was someone that they recruited in high school, ends up at Florida State now years later and leads the ACC in receiving touchdowns during the 2023 season, plays a really big role in Tallahassee. You just never know how it's going to turn out in the end, especially now. Mm-hmm. Florida, yeah, Florida's really- going to win four games next year. That brutal is, that's, that schedule is so, <laughs> so brutal. Um, and, you know, a lot of people were, were complimenting DJ Lagwell on staying firm on his commitment to Florida. But there was a lot of guys that were already jumping ship from Florida this this year. I think there was one wide receiver that flipped to Texas A&M late. You know, they lost a lot of people a lot of people late, and if this goes how we all think that think it will in a year, there's going to be a lot of talented players at Gainesville that are going to be going somewhere else. There is going to be some talent that might be interested in coming back and giving Florida State a shot. And like we were just talking about Marvin Jones Jr., one of those guys that was really close in the recruitment and Florida State did a really nice, just genuine job and, you know, presenting what they wanted and getting Marvin Jones Jr. into that class, but still went with Kirby Smart and saw what, saw what it was like and things just didn't get he won a ring. He imagined. Yeah, he did. He did get a national championship. <laughs> But now I think you see him, which is says something about him. He he wants to get on the field more, and he wants to be used in what he thinks is best for him and his abilities. Uh, let's talk about some transfer stuff, maybe some transfer drama. But these two guys are officially in the transfer portal, Rodney Hill and DJ Lundy. We talked about them last week, the intentions there, but they're officially in that portal. Um Don't need to go too further into this, gentlemen, because we've been kind of talking about these two since last week and on this show tonight. But uh, there was also some kind of transfer drama within all over the place uh, earlier in the week. And this was regarding Joshua Farmer, a player who has been a standout the last two seasons who is expected to be a starter going into 2024. And, uh, you know, we saw 247 and one of their national writers, I'll bring his name up here in a minute, but put out, uh, you know, some scoop there that he was hearing that he was going to be entering the transfer portal. Saw Joshua Farmer shoot that down in the mentions below. Um, We were told, also the same that that wasn't correct and that he's still with the program, not plan on entering the transfer portal, but kind of just now everything's just been blown up. And now a lot of FSU fans wondering, no, you know, yes, Joshua Farmer, another player, just kind of like DJ Lundy, like Rodney Hill here too, as well, that you weren't expecting to have this happen. Um, you know, I was in a spaces, I was listening to his older, older brother and, you know, just talking about some certain things that, you know, maybe Lundy and and the program weren't agreeing on, and I'm not going to talk specifics on what he was talking about, but there's just 
you know, we, we've gone to this day and age where NIL plays a vital factor for some of these players. And we saw a lot of players get retained last year. And now immediately, once you lose your chance at college ball playoff, you're looking ahead at next season. And uh, I, I think the Joshua Farmer situation sucks because there's numbers that are reported and put out there um, from outlets. And I, I, don't, I don't think that really necessarily helps anything whatsoever. It definitely doesn't help the program whatsoever, but it doesn't help both sides. And definitely if you're in support of a collective or, you know, the battles end here, that's, I don't think those numbers should be shared. I don't, I don't think that's the right place to help anyone. And I think too, the out, the, the organizations, the collectives, they've got to crack down on that kind of stuff becoming public because it allows us to see it, allows fans to see it, which you can tell right away immediately. You know, there were some Rodney Hill numbers going out. Fans were just going right at Rodney Hill and, and just yelling at him. And it doesn't even give a chance for maybe the players to look, sit back, think about a few things. And before even meeting maybe their, their position coaches, it doesn't help anything whatsoever when numbers are shared out there. And I think that's something that then we're new. We're in a new age of, new age of how this NIL stuff works and everything, but it's got to be changed and it's got to, it's got to, things got to be more private. And I think this is something that the battles end is, is a learning lesson. These, these numbers do not need to be public. I have no idea why they're public. It, it just doesn't help anything whatsoever. And it's really unprofessional in my opinion. I totally agree. Completely agree. I think there's some things that need to stay private and some things that can be public. Like you can say it's an NIL deal. Everyone's going to be fine with that. Saying the exact number to me is kind of tasteless. You know, let's say these guys end up wanting to come back to Florida State, but they've seen how the media and the fans are treated, and they're they're not going to to come back to that. They're going to to get out of Dodge as fast as they can. So not the biggest fan of it for sure. The sad thing with Farmer is because he's already done – or he's already played this game a couple of times, everybody believed it as soon as the report came out. And even if it ends up being true, it ends up being false – that narrative is already built. It's already there. And that's in the back of his mind for, you know, maybe he has gone through the steps, but hasn't submitted the whatever it is. However you get into the portal application, I guess. I don't know. So yeah. Maybe he's maybe he's done the steps, but just hasn't submitted it yet. Now he's saying, well, these guys clearly don't, don't want me anyways. Why should I stick around? To me, it just continues to build on a bad narrative. And I don't see why we can't treat transfers like we do commitments where we let the kids announce that they're entering the portal instead of saying, hey, so-and-so is intending to enter the portal but isn't in there yet. To me, that's – it just doesn't look good to me. Just a tough scenario on all sides. And at least for this one, you know, you've got the report coming out that Farmer's going to enter the portal. Then he denies it publicly and and obviously reached out to us as well as other outlets, I'm sure, to privately – deny it as well and then he deletes all of the stuff of him denied it on social media also now is still not officially in the transfer portal and we're past that 48 hour mark uh, where the player submitted their paperwork it normally takes about four, 24 to 48 hours to appear in the portal so he's not officially has his name in in the database so far so it's just a confusing scenario on all parts and I think at this point, the only clarification we're going to get on is if he does actually appear in the portal or not. It'll be something to watch. But you think about like Malcolm Ray just just got in the portal today and he actually made his declaration back on December 11th. So nine days between 
him announcing it on social media and also then appearing in the portal. And he was someone that was at Florida State's practice yesterday, you know, fully dressed out and had some promising uh, moments out there throughout the day. And then a day later, officially in the portal. Which, I mean, that's not that's nothing too crazy. I mean, we saw Amari Gaynor play in the game last year after he'd already committed to North Carolina. So these things can happen. Yeah, and I think it's a mix of like we've been seeing and then we've seen it with Farmer in the past too, where you're kind of testing the waters there and seeing what numbers you can rise from internally from the collective that you're at the program at and then also hear some birds from other places across the country as well. Man, you definitely do. Not, not everything is clean in college football. Numbers are given to players and that's how it goes from another program and uh, you know, I, I just, I just don't understand, you know, uh, you know, the collective, I would, I would cut off all, 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 everything, cut it all off, make it just a one way road between me and the client that I'm working on. It, it doesn't make sense from a business side to air out numbers, or if you're not specifically trying to allowing others to air out numbers, if you have a good relationship with them, it just doesn't make sense to me whatsoever on a business side. Um, so that's something that's got to be fixed. And we kind of see a little bit that a little of that lingering into what, you know, what the battles in had to f- deal with today. And, uh, you know, there's there's some work to be done. A learning lesson and a lot of fans wondering where money's going and such. But they also got to know, too, there's a lot of other things and optics that just go outside of just high school recruiting. There's a lot of retention. And but then when you go to retention, you wonder why Lundy Hill and, and Farmer are wanting to test the waters and, and see what else they can get from other places. So, well, uh, this we is where why. we're at. <laughs> this Nego- is where we're at though. It's negotiation season for 30 days. Hell yeah. Bring it on. Uh, but I'm just glad I'm not, not in the world. I couldn't imagine. There's a lot of stuff that uh, has to go into it more than what we're probably speaking here on air. <laughs> I just can't so. imagine being a college coach this month. Uh, I mean, having oh, having to travel it. around the country, doing these in-home visits Back home, you've got the guys that you've got to talk to to figure out are they going to hit the portal or are they going to come back or go to the NFL or, you know, what have you. Then you got official visits on the weekend. You got the early signing period right now. If you're in a bowl game, I, I pray for you because you're, you're going through bowl practices F. as well with, you know, however many players you got out there since the transfer portal is going on. It's, it's a crazy time, you know, for us covering the program, but I can't imagine being someone in it dealing with that day to day. I mean, that schedule right now, rough. Just more reason the early signing day and the transfer portal window needs to be pushed back a little bit and all the bowl games maybe need to moved up a week because it's kind of messy. It's been super messy for a lot of programs to have it smack in the middle of all these bowl practices. And I think there's – I could be wrong next year, but I think the start of the 12-team playoff is the same day as early signing day next year. You think this year's messy? That's going to be even messier. I think they're going to have to figure something out because it's just making a lot of the postseason, like the bowl games that normally people tuned in for in the past, you'd have these exciting matchups. Now you're losing all the players who you wanted to watch from both sides before the bowl game can even be played because of either the transfer portal opening or NFL declarations. Like there's got to be some way to either alter the schedule, have have it played earlier. Like you said, Austin, maybe push some of those periods back to still make it still make these games worth playing in because right now you've got guys in the middle of the transfer portal 
Um, some of them are obviously going to play for their current teams, but other guys have committed to other programs or, you know, don't know if they're going to have a, a program to call home next year and are looking at for options out there right now and don't have time to commit to the program that they're currently at. It's, it just all creates just so much, so much chaos. I like chaos, but then I don't like chaos. Yeah, there, there, there's good, there's good chaos, and there's bad chaos. This is definitely more bad chaos. The last couple of weeks, I think the twelve team playoff is going to help with the the NFL opt outs because a lot of the players you want to see are playing for the best teams, and all the best teams are going to be in that twelve team playoff. Sure, you'll see like a Notre Dame go nine and three and not play in the twelve team playoff. They may see some opt-outs, but for the most part, all the best teams and the best players are going to have those guys go through the playoffs, and I think that'll help on some fronts. You still have all the really exciting minor bowl games. I mean, we saw Old Dominion, whoever they were playing, have like a 28-point comeback. So you're still going to have some fun bowl games, and I think that's what team playoff will help on the opt-out side, but there's got to be something done with the transfer portal window and early signing day for sure. There's a comment here on YouTube, which is pretty funny. From Watson saying, listening to you guys is like listening to the NFL reporters, like who is going to what team and how much they will be getting paid. Never thought I would see this in college football. But yeah, we're in a hybrid now of college football and NFL, and it's only going to get more in the leaning side of the NFL at this state. And it shouldn't be a shocker anymore. This is where we're headed. But this is how the state of college football is at the very moment. There could be some big help, though, in how scheduling goes for definitely like the coaching staff where Mike Norvell kind of threw some shade there at the NCA. He said, I had to leave my team after Florida State found out that they were not going to be in the college football playoff. I had to leave right after that and get into recruiting right away and in home visits. So a lot, a lot could help this, these coaching staffs and programs. I think it might be easier to cover the NFL at this point because they're locked into contracts, yeah. but – you get to this point in college football and every time you have a transfer portal window, if it's in the spring, if it's in uh, the winter or fall, however you want to call it right now, uh, you've got guys that, I mean, you know, frankly have the leverage to negotiate. I mean, you know, the guys that we've seen enter the portal so far, Rodney Hill was going to expect to play a big role for Florida state in 2024. Uh, Malcolm Ray was, going to be a big asset along that interior defensive line. Marquise and Douglas, I know he got phased out of the rotation some this year with Kyle Morlock and Jaheim Bell, but you know, with some of those losses, he was also going to be right there getting a lot of snaps once again. Um, Patrick Payton, obviously not officially in the portal and um, deleted his intention saying that he was going to enter. But when he did make that announcement on social media, He's going to be one of the best players, period, on Florida State's roster in 2024. These guys have that leverage to make these negotiations, and I think it just comes down to are they going to get something acceptable behind the scenes, and we'll just see where it goes. In, in college football and college football and basketball, both are such big businesses, but especially football, the players were always going to get paid at some point, and they deserve to get paid. But the way the NCAA has just gone, hey, have fun with it. We're not going to do anything about it. That's where things have, that's where the issues have arised. You've got to be able to find a way to regulate things. That's why I think we're going to get unions. We're going to get collective bargainings. We're going to get some of these things that the professional leagues have. Because at this point, there's too much money in college football to not have those things. I mean, we saw the deal that ESPN and the SEC signed. I mean, that was worth billions of dollars and the players technically aren't seeing any of that right now. It's still all through collectives. There's going to become a point where I think it's going to be, get toned down a little bit, but right now it, yeah, it's the wild, wild west for sure. 
Let's jump into some guys that have announced their intentions of entering the NFL draft. Not the transfer portal, but heading to the NFL draft. And this is going to be really fun here to cover in a couple of months. It's actually going to be in Vegas, so it's going to be extra fun there. But uh, let's start off with Jared Verse, Trey Benson, Jaheim Bell, and Fabo have announced their intentions into the NFL draft. Jarian Jones has well, as well has, but is actually going to be playing in the Orange Bowl. Those first four that I mentioned won't be down there in Miami on the field playing for the Seminoles. But what a, what a career for a lot of these guys, but more specifically, Jared Verse and, and Trey Benson and also Fabo in there and, and Jari. And th- those guys, man, what a, what a stellar type of mentality that they brought coming into this next year and wanting to fight definitely Jared verse specifically Trey Benson kind of could have tested the waters as well. But uh, th- these guys were such intricate players and in bringing this team into what we saw it become into a 13 and all ACC championship team for Mike Norvell. I don't think any of these are surprises, especially once Florida state was uh snub from the college football playoff. It made the most sense for guys like Trey Benson and Jared Verse to move on, protect their draft stock, especially since, you know, they're expected to be drafted. And then you think about a guy like Fabian Lovett, someone who's dealt with injuries throughout his career. I just don't think, you know, not worth it in his mind to go out there and and risk something else before he finally gets his shot to prepare for the professional level. And then, you know, Jaheim Bell as well. Um, But all these guys – very good players at Florida State. Jared Verse and Trey Benson in particular, you know, are going to be remembered for a long time for what they did in Garner and Gold. Fabian Lovett, you know, especially for being here since the – I mean, really since the beginning, transferring in, being here since 2020, going through the entire process uh, in Tallahassee with Mike Norvell. But then the star power that Trey Benson and Jared Verse have brought to this team the last two years. I mean, Verse is going to be someone drafted in the first round in April – um, you know, teams made it their point to try and stop him this year, and he was still able to put up some very good numbers, especially late in the season when Florida mm-hmm. State needed him. <clears throat> he was at his very best. Trey Benson um, didn't get his 1,000 yards, but had 14 rushing touchdowns this year and is going to be remembered as a guy who, whenever Florida State faced their rivals, whenever Miami came to town or they went to Gainesville and had to take on the Gators, Trey Benson at his very best. I mean, I think – I think it was 10, 10 total touchdowns against um, Miami and Florida during his career. Just a incredible number when he's only played them in four total games. But some really good Seminoles moving on. And uh, I think you kind of said it earlier, Logan, it's going to be exciting to cover these guys at the professional level. I think I was only slightly surprised to see Fabian Lovett not playing the Orange Bowl just because, like you said, he's been he's dealt with injuries, especially these last couple of years. I thought he'd maybe want one game, one more game on tape at full health against, you know, even if Georgia ends up having opt-outs, it's still a very talented Georgia offensive line. Yeah. Maybe would have liked to have that tape, but, you know, it, it's it's a two-way street. He's had injuries. He doesn't want to risk that injury again. I totally understand it, but like you said, just so much star power. I'm really excited to see where Verse goes in the NFL draft in May. And, you know, there's a lot of talk that Trey Benson could be one of the first two or three running backs off the board when we get to that NFL draft, and he's going to go to a team that's going to fit him best. Is it in May? Should be. I said, it, April. I said April, so I just I don't know. Should be April. 
NFL um, draft is always yeah, the, yeah. This week it's not April. not always. It, the last few years it's been in May, but yeah, this year it's last week into April. My bad. Hell nah, hell nah. Let's go and check this real quick. Twenty twenty two NF or twenty twenty two NFL draft date. It's always been in April. It's, it's always late April though. Yeah, April twenty eighth to the thirtieth. There you go. Got close to May, not to Cinco de Mayo though, Bob. Twenty twenty one got into May. Here, I'm going back. NFL yeah, draft. like the last, the, day, for, the last day of the draft, or yeah, for the most it's part, the last it's, day. <laughs> for the most part, it's the end of April. I thought there was some maze back then. Hmm. Whatever. Twenty third to the twenty fifth. Twenty fifteen was May. Let's see. Interesting. Eighty six NFL draft. Twenty fourteen was like the third week of May. So it bounces around. 1967 NFL draft, April 26th. He's doing research, but there have been some other guys on Fort State's roster um, who haven't. I wasn't made, searching. There have been plenty of guys on Fort State's roster who haven't made NFL declarations at this point, namely Keon Coleman, um, Braden Fisk, Kalen Deloach, Tatum Bethune. Um, you've still mm-hmm. got a guy like Renardo Green, Keem Dent. Still some really talented players on Four State's roster who haven't publicly said if they're planning to play in the game or if they're not just yet. Yeah, so the just gotta fix the word in there. A lot of those guys are going to the NFL. We already know that, especially because a lot of them are out of eligibility. We just don't know if they're playing yet. Well, that's what I meant. Like if they're gonna <laughs> yeah. no, opt out of their final mean. game or just Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play their final game. <laughs> it's really the Throw the two choices. December has been a lot. And Dustin, you've been up early, so we'll allow you to have some, you know, a little bit of a slower brain. But luckily, we're almost done with this show. Been going a long time. And also, too, shout out to our Instagram viewers in here. There's a lot of y'all in here. So appreciate y'all now getting the stream over there to you guys. So shout out to our Instagram squad, a big follower base over there. But um, let's finish off the show, gentlemen. Unless y'all have anything else, football related we'll talk more practice observations and georgia next week as we officially prepare that we'll be down there in miami for that show so we'll have a few little warm-up stretches of practice and then we'll also have a few interviews here and there too that we'll be able to discuss into next week's show so and we'll also probably get a better feeling of who's playing and who's not right now it's just up in the air with a handful maybe two or three handfuls of guys. So don't really want to do any kind of hard hitting analysis that we really do a great job here in it anyways, but God, we need as much help as we can get to figure out who's actually playing next week. It was funny. Someone asked Mike Norville yesterday, um, do you have an idea of who's going to be playing in the game? Like kind of, I guess kind of hoping to get some answers, a little bit of clarity. And Mark Norvell's like, I have an idea. <laughs> it's it's hard to believe that that game's next Saturday. It does not feel like it whatsoever. Yeah, man. Like, uh, it just feels after you got hit hard with the college football playoff situation. That Sunday was brutal, but that that whole week stretch just full of distractions, man. Of from you went way into on field stuff to right outside of it, and which sucks the most having to listen to analysts. But shout out to Charles Barkley, though. I love Charles Barkley, but a real one saying Florida State should have been in the college football playoff and brought up the discussion and argument that Florida State won three games with two backup quarterbacks, one of them being a true freshman in an ACC championship. 
So, shout out to Charles Barkley. I like that guy. I've always liked him. They have a great show on TNT. If Charles Barkley ever wants to hop on here, I know he's a, he's an Auburn alum, but everyone wants to hop on here. Feel free during this offseason. Um, but let's talk about FSU basketball real quick oh, to God. end off the show. Yeah, I mean, everybody now, before you leave, hit the like <laughs> button if you're excited for Luke Cromanhawk and the Cam Davis show uh, in 2025, really going into in two years once those guys get going. But uh, make sure you hit the like button if you're excited for Charles Lester, if you're excited for Landon Thomas and Marvin Jones Jr. Um, and for some of y'all in the comments that are still have hope that Jeremiah Smith, he still hasn't sent in his LOI to Ohio State yet. There could be a last flip there to Florida State. If you think there's some kind of hope there, hit the like button. But it's time to hit talk about down Hamilton. If you're here for basketball. Oh, no, right. don't do that. Don't do that. Jeez, don't hurt. Don't hurt us, Destin, and drag us down there. But hurt us. Um, yeah, hit that like button. We definitely appreciate it. But yeah, BZ, lead us into some basketball. I saw getting the win there against North Florida back in the win column. We love to see it. But man, oh man, Florida State basketball is worse than we thought. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. It's, it's been funny seeing some of the people that I've had reach out to me the last week, really, just talking about the team and the state of the program. Um, the SMU game Saturday was brutal. Just some of the worst offense I've seen from a Florida State team since they got out of that Twin Post systems in 2013. I want to say it was the last year of the Twin Posts. It was rough. You know, and if you look at that four game stretch of Georgia, UNC, SMU and USF, they shot 36% from the floor, and that's just – that's not going to get it done against anybody. Um, luckily, we're able to bounce back a little bit against UNF last night, but that's a game you're supposed to win. Um, I'm not exactly taking too much stock in it. You've got a couple more games against Winthrop and Lipscomb to finish out your non-conference before you get into the conference play, but we're probably not going to know anything else about where this men's team stands until – early January when they, when they start playing some of those ACC teams, I'm not really taking much stock in, in, in a win against UNF who shot 46 three-pointers last night. It was insane to watch in real time. And then Lipskip and Winthrop or whatever. Um, just hopefully you could start off conference play on a right note when you're playing some really bad ACC teams at home to start January and Wake Forest, Notre Dame, and Georgia Tech. No, no reason you shouldn't win all three of those. I guess the only positive things that I can say is Darren Green Jr. able to get that 1,500 career yep. points in the win against UNF. And then also uh, Taylor Bull Bowen continues to, sh to show some of that potential. Had a career game. And, you know, you got to hope for Florida State that carries over and he continues to make these strides into the conference slate. Because if so, I mean, that – you know, we know Florida State's not going to contend necessarily for an AC championship. But if a guy like – Bowen, who's a young prospect, and you expect him to be around this program for more than one year, if he can blossom into something and then, you know, show you as you get into a really tough, tough slate of conference games, be big for Florida State. He was really good last night. He, he made a couple of really impressive plays. He had one where it should have been a chase down block, but they called it a foul, and I was kind of mad at it because it was a really impressive play. Uh, he showed his range from three. He had a couple of nice finishes at the basket. He was impressive last night, and they, they're going to have to play him more, especially with the injury to Cameron Fletcher. You know, he can – Bowen can eat up some of those minutes at the four position that Fletcher would play sporadically. But 
it was definitely good to see him. It's been good to see Primo Spears on the floor finally, even if he's not shooting the ball great as of right now. He was 2 of 14 Saturday night and like 2 of 7 last night, maybe 3 of 7. Um, he could still, he's still getting some things worked out, but at the same time, he's getting to the basket. He's making plays. We haven't seen a point guard do that in a, in a little while. He kind of reminds me of a more athletic David Nichols, who some fans might remember from that 2018-19 team, but good to see him out there just needs to get a little bit more settled in. Are you excited for more uh, FSG basketball games? Um, <clears throat> sure. <laughs> I didn't like that. I didn't, I didn't like that. They got, they, really, they got uh, Winthrop next. They, they beat Winthrop last year. Yeah, Winthrop Friday night. Did they actually play last year? I thought they did. Maybe I don't, I don't think so. I, I really don't think they played Winthrop in like three years. I could be wrong. Yep, you've got a stretch of Winthrop, Lipscomb, and Georgia Tech the next three games. Can you win Which, two or three? You should you should win three or three. Should. Um Georgia Tech, or sorry. Yeah, you said Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's not very good. They did get a good win against Mississippi State in the ACC SEC challenge, but otherwise it's not a very good team. Then you have Notre Dame very shortly after that, and Notre Dame is horrible. Uh they lost at home to the Citadel by 20 last night. So should be able to win a few games in a row here heading in before you get the, uh, the tougher ACC schedule. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Appreciate everyone here. Uh, Terrell is asking, where do you get the fit? VZ. Uh, you do have the wrong racer. Looking, looking but, uh, lit today. This is the only NASCAR driver, Logan. Don't get it twisted. Uh, the Jeff, hat is Jeff the Gordon. hat is from, yeah. It's the only good driver. Uh, the hat good is job. from That's Old News good. Vintage, a store here in Charlotte. I don't know where I got this shirt from. Probably Old News as well. Um, but I've got like ten or twelve vintage Jeff Gordon shirts that I've gotten from all over the place. So I really don't remember where I got them all from. I've got like ten or twelve shirts total. We know because you only wear gray and black. It's an easy color. It's easy on the eyes. No, I've, got, I've got a bunch of, mm-hmm. bunch of vintage Jeff Gordon stuff because I was always my driver growing up. Loves it now. Mm. Dale, yeah, baby. I love Dale. Dale Earnhardt's better. Nope. Even if um, I live in the town like two minutes from where, he grew, from where Dale's from. but You're messed up. Messed up. Don't know what you're doing. Mental's wrong. Brain cells are shot. A Kenny Chesney concert or something. I will be in April. There you go. <laughs> For probably the NFL draft time. The tour's uh, coming up. Like, the weekend yeah, before, nice I think. The 11-day mm-hmm. tour. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Before you leave, hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit the like button. As always, you can listen to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. If you're new here, we go live every Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern. So next week, we will be previewing Florida State versus Georgia which is just crazy to think of that I'm saying this, but it's not going to be in the college football playoff. Oh, my goodness. It's weird to say. But here we are. Florida State's going to be playing in the Orange Bowl. So we'll have some better practice observations for you guys as well, and we'll get a good feel for who's going to be out there available for the Seminoles going into facing the Bulldogs. Thanks, everybody. Have a great rest of y'all's weekend, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Peace.